Thank you. And now we'll read uh, from the NIV, uh, Psalm 146. Okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, now, uh, I, I didn't actually, I forgot to say this in the first service. You might notice that Phil's not actually here. And he didn't want us to make a big deal of this. But uh, Phil was cleaning his mower with a high-pressure water cleaner the other day uh, and managed to uh, squirt the water through his hand when he slipped, so the water went through his hand. Uh, must have been quite a water pressure. I'd like to see that water cleaner. That would, Tim the Toolman Taylor would be proud of that sort of water. Anyway, uh, Phil's had surgery and he's on his way uh, today. Is that right, Judith, he's coming today? She'll be leaving about now with one hand. Um, <laughs> uh, I laugh because I know Phil well. <laughs> Uh, and his wife is laughing too, so I feel I have permission. So, uh, anyway, Phil will, Phil will be here on time, don't worry. And he'll be here next week, and uh, he can be upset at me for telling you all that he hurt his head. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, uh, and there's a wonderful example, actually, of what I'm going to start with. Sometimes life just throws you a curveball, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know what you think about what happened uh, through the COVID pandemic and all that sort of thing. That's not really uh, my interest this morning. But what COVID proved to us is that life can change all of a sudden, can't it? One moment, we're all happily just going about our lives. The next moment, we're stuck in our homes and, and all the other knock-on effects that have come from that. Life can change quickly. We can, most of the time, feel like we are in control of our circumstances. Most often feel like we, we can control our future. And even though we don't know everything that's coming, we've got contingencies and backups and plans and, and all the rest of it. And we can feel like, yeah, we, we mostly are in control. But then something like COVID comes along or an unexplained illness or a death or a financial crisis, or a war, or a natural disaster, or whatever comes along, and then all of a sudden, everything is upended, our plans go awry, and we're left dazed and confused, and, and it suddenly becomes apparent to us that, no, actually, we're not in control. And, and maybe that's you right now, that's where you're at in your life. Maybe you've been there, 
But when those sorts of things happen to us, and they happen multiple times, we can start to feel quite uncertain and even afraid of the future. And I think, I think, I'm fairly certain I've seen studies that say that people are, since COVID, people are less certain, they're less confident about their future. So how can you feel confident about your future? How can you feel secure, not stressed? And I don't just mean oblivious to the future. I mean, that's one way to fix the problem. You just don't think about it. You, just, <laughs> you don't process what might happen. You just float along. Now, there, there's some value in not overthinking things, obviously, but um, we don't want to just be oblivious. We actually want to be confident about the future. How, how could we do that? Well, this psalm is telling us how we can do that. Uh, so, uh, let's get into it. And this will be the last of our psalms and next week we'll, well, as we install Phil, we'll do something else and then we'll move on again after that. This is one of the so-called hallelujah psalms. Uh, it's perhaps not obvious, but if you, if you have your Bible, you can see uh, from one, Psalm 146 on to the, to the end of the book of Psalms, each of the Psalms starts with praise the Lord and then it actually finishes with praise the Lord and in Hebrew, that is hallelujah. Uh, it's actually, um, let us praise the Lord. It's actually calling for a response from, from everyone. Let us praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, he then says, my soul. And then he goes on, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. That is, this is not a, I was momentarily excited, I got hyped up and, and so I'm calling you to praise with me. This is not like, I'm having a good day, let's praise. This is not, um, everything in my life is happy and, and grand. This is, I will praise God no matter what. Highs, lows, good, bad, every day of my life, no matter my mood or my circumstances. Now, of course, not every day of praise will be of the same exuberance, no doubt, but nevertheless, he will praise the Lord. He wants his life to be one of praising. I, and I, I think it's just worth noting, he's not saying I want, he wants his life to be one of singing, constant singing. That is, every day of his life, he's going to be singing the whole time. Well, the way we, we, we use English, uh, if I say to you, are uh, we going to praise God now? You'll just assume that I'm, someone's going to come up and grab an instrument and we're going to start singing, right? I mean, that's just... Or we're going to worship God now. That's, what, that's kind of how we talk. And there's nothing, in a sense, wrong with that. But the, the, the effect of the fact that that's how we talk is that sometimes we reduce worship and praise down to singing. But, of course, worship and praise is far more than singing. You can praise God just by speaking to someone about God, perhaps sharing the gospel with them. You can praise God through prayer. You can praise God by living in the ways that please Him. You can praise God by choosing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We could, and we could go on. I mean, there's lots of ways to live a life of praise. It doesn't just mean 
singing all the time, which is, which is good news for those of you who are tone deaf. Um, praise. He wants that to be his life all the time, no matter what. Now, how, how do you do that? Well, he tells us first how you don't do that. And he's, he's got that in verses 3 and 4. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Do not put your praise, your trust, he says, sorry, in princes. Do not trust the influential and the powerful in, in the world to, to look after you and, and save you. Now, as an Australian, our possibly gut reaction to that is, well, hang on a minute, we don't do that anyway. Who, who's trusting politicians and leaders? I mean, who's doing that? Nobody's doing that. We're all convicts anyway. We just do what we want to do. Um, and, and there's some truth about, to that, but let's just uh, think about why they would have trusted in princes so that we can see how perhaps there is some overlap here. You've got to picture the world that this is written into. Most people in Israel lived in smallish villages. Uh, there wasn't the rule of law as we're used to it. You know, there's laws and, and they are enforced by the state and so on. And, and so you have rights and so on. Uh, so on. That, that doesn't exist. How well you get justice, how well... Uh, your, how heavily you're taxed, all sorts of things are dependent on who? The, the local ruler, whoever that might be. Not only so, but at times, armies, not necessarily massive armies like we think of from World World One or Two or something like that, but armies would move through the area. The Babylonians would come down or the Philistines would attack. Now, if you're in your little village of maybe 30 or 40 fighting age men, who, who's going to protect you? The, the nearest uh, walled town is miles away. Who, who's going to look after you? Well, that depends on the prince. And so you, you can see that to a large degree, the, the quality of your life, the safety of your life, the confidence you had in life depended in that sort of world on the local ruler, the local prince. And... And God says, well, don't, but don't trust in him. He's not saying never ask him for anything. Don't expect him to do anything. Of course, it doesn't say here that they're utterly useless and can't do anything decent. That's not what it says. But don't put your trust in them as though they have the power to do everything. For two reasons. One, we're told in verse 3, they cannot save. That is... They can't fix our ultimate problem, that is our relationship with God. We'll come back to that right near the end. But for now, the, the other problem that he mentions is that everything they do is temporary. You might have the best local ruler that has ever lived, right? David, under David, king of Israel. Israel prospered, didn't it? It, it went from strength to strength, uh, and under Solomon, even more so. The, the kingdom rose in, in wealth and, and prosperity. Magnificent. But what happened? Is, is David still alive today? 
Solomon still alive today? Did, did, did David and Solomon stay good for their whole lives? And the answer is no. They didn't. They didn't always do the right thing for their kingdom. And even if they had, they eventually died. And then there was a new king and eventually one of those was terrible. And the whole thing went downhill. And that's the problem with earthly rulers. Indeed, that's the problem with any solution to our problem of the f- trying to ho- be confident about the f- future. Anything earthly is both temporary and can't ultimately fix the problem. And so, if that's what he's advising against then I think we can see that actually we do, don't we? We are prone to look and try and find confidence and hope and security for the future in things in this world. Now, whether we like to admit it or not, actually we do that more, more, more in our politicians than we'd like to admit. You see, as, as the world has become more individualistic, more autonomous, that is, we, we, I look after myself and you look after yourself and don't you ask me to do anything and I won't ask you to do anything. As that's happened, uh, more and more people have looked to governments to solve their problems. When they get into trouble, who, who's going to fix it? The government's going to fix it. And so, increasingly, many, many people, because of, that, because of that, when they look at elections, it's, it's much bigger than it used to be. If they get in power, the whole world is going to end. But if they get in power, everything's going to be wonderful. If they get in power, it's going to be terrible. If they get in power, oh, how wonderful it will be. And it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right, progressive or conservative, you know, Biden or Trump or WEF or the farmers or whoever whoever you're, you know, behind at this point in time. People uh, put their hope in politicians to fix the world, to fix their circumstances, to make everything better. But of course, as soon as they get in power... They don't do what they say. And even then, the question is immediately, well, yeah, but who's after them? What's the next mob going to do? Because it's all temporary. And it can't fix the problem. And if it's not political leaders, business leaders, you know, or this entrepreneur or that entrepreneur is going to fix the world. And sometimes for Christians, it's church leaders. Oh, John MacArthur, he's the man. He's going to, you know... Tim Keller, well, sadly, Tim's dead. John Piper, in the past it was Mark Driscoll, and there's, there's been others. People look to these church leaders to make everything wonderful again. Well, it doesn't work. But there's one other ruler in your life that you're actually somewhat more likely to be looking to for a sense of confidence and security and hope for the future and that is actually yourself. We are, each of us, kings or queens of our own little kingdom, our own little world, our life. We are the prince that we trust in, our own cleverness and planning. Now, there's nothing wrong with planning. Uh, Proverbs will tell you the, the, one, the wonders of planning and pr- preparation. That's great. But if your confidence 
you see, rests in your planning and your capacity to control things, then that is folly. It's folly. <laughs> Some of you have plans for this afternoon. I don't know what they are. Maybe it's a nana nap. I don't know. That's, you know, you just like to get home from church and lie down and rest. Well, okay. Who of you is confident that they can guarantee that you will carry out your plans this afternoon? Absolutely, 100% certain that what you have planned for this afternoon is going to happen. Anyone? No, nobody is, because you all know full well that we don't know what is going to happen in the next 20 minutes, 20 seconds. Anything could happen. We don't know. And all you need to do, if, you're, if, you're, if you haven't experienced this yet, all you need to do is go and talk to some of the older members of our congregation, and they can tell you just how uncertain life can be just because they've been around on the planet a bit longer than you have. Just like all the other princes, you can only achieve things here and you can't even guarantee that you will achieve them. And you certainly can't achieve your own salvation on your own. Now, I think we sort of know that, but we try and do it anyway. And then we get stressed and anxious and worried because we're doing something that we know we can't actually do. It'll be, if I say to you, look, I can only be happy if I can plan and work out my future and I, that I can get there, that's this place I want to go. It'll be a bit like me saying to you, look, I will only ever be happy once I have built a lovely house on Jupiter. Like then, then I can be happy. Like that's not possible. If I've said to you, I can, when I've got a nice house on Jupiter, then I'll be really happy. You would say to me, you're an idiot because you, you know you can't do that. Well, if you think that you, you can plan your way to happiness and, and confidence and, and security, that's as likely as me building a house on Jupiter. Right? It's just not going to happen. Our plans cannot carry the weight of our security, of our hope. And because they can't, if, if that's the way we try and do things, we won't, we'll not be praising God all of the days of our life. We'll be stressed and anxious. But there is, of course, an alternative, and you know what the alternative is, it's not a surprise. Verse 5, blessed are those... No, it's not. Can you change the slide, Dawn, for me? Because my one's not working. Thank you. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. There's an alternative. You don't have to put your hope in princes. Blessed are those whose help is, is God, whose hope is in God. Well, you kind of knew that was the answer, right? You all knew, but... Well, maybe you didn't all know, but we, you can kind of guess. Why? Why is that the answer? Well, he, he, the psalmist tells us in verses 6 to 9. Let me just read verse 6 to start. You're going to have to change it for me again, Dawn. It's just not happy. Thank you. He is the maker of heaven and earth. The sea 
and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Now, here in this verse is the foundation, if you like, of confidence and hope and security in God. There's two really important things about God in this verse. One, he's powerful. Uh, there's no good having a ruler who's, who's not powerful, who can't do anything. But God is powerful. He made the heavens and the earth. And for him to set the future or, or whatever is, is child's play. It, it's like a child with, with some blocks and they make a little tower. It's, even for a child, that's easy. Well, for God to, to organise and, and protect organize the future and protect his people is, is no trouble whatsoever. He's powerful. But then the second thing that's in this verse is that he is faithful. He's trustworthy forever. Not just trustworthy temporarily while he's alive because he doesn't die. He's faithful forever. He's not capricious. He always keeps his word. His plans don't kind of start out and then sputter to an end or, or he doesn't get distracted, or, or he doesn't change his mind. Uh, from the moment of the fall, indeed before, through to Jesus, and to now, and to the very end, God had a plan, and he's carrying out his plan, and he's never missed a step, and he never will. And these two things are the foundation for us to have confidence in God. He is powerful, he can do what he wants, he can always do exactly what he wants and he is faithful, he always does what he says. He is utterly powerful and entirely faithful. Uh, I mean, just imagine for a moment that that's what our politicians were like, <laughs> right? They could do, they could fulfill, they had the power to actually fulfill the promises that they make to us and, and they always wanted to, they always did. I mean, that'd be magnificent. Well, that's God. That's exactly what God is like. He is powerful enough to do it and faithful enough to do, always do what he said he's going to do. Now, here's the thing. It, that is, on its own, no comfort because you don't know what he said he's going to do. Uh, if, he, if he was horrible, uh, that, that would be no comfort because that just means he's guaranteed to do horrible things. But thankfully, he is not horrible. And that's what verses... Uh, seven to nine, tell us. There we go. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Uh, in verse six, it started, he is the maker of heaven and earth, and actually uh, in the Hebrew, it, it just says, uh, same meaning, but it just, you can see the parallel, uh, he, he makes justice. So he, he made the heavens and the earth, and he makes justice. That is, in a world which often lacks justice, God brings justice out of, out of injustice. He, he brings it, he, he makes it happen. And then in verse 9, you can see at the end there, he, he frustrates the ways of the wicked. It's true, isn't it, that one of the things that can make us uncertain and stressed about the future is 
when evil seems to flourish, when there seems to be a lack of uh, justice, when violence and bullying and harassment and cruelty and so on, they go unpunished in the world. And, and so <laughs> the human thing is to find an earthly solution and we make more laws and stricter punishments and, well, it's understandable. But here is God who guarantees us that there will be justice. Now, we, we know more than the psalmist and we know that that's coming at the end of time when God returns and, and judges the world. So we may have to wait for this justice, but in the end, there will be justice for all evil. Indeed, God has demonstrated his, his incredible dedication to justice because we were all sinners. We all deserve justice. And yet he wanted us for his people. So how do you do that? You, you can't just sweep the evil under the carpet because he's just. And so what did he do? Well, he came into the world and he stood in our place and he took the punishment that we deserve so that justice is done and love is done at the same time. That's how dedicated God is to justice. So do we, can we have confidence for the future? Yes, because this God is a God who deals with evil and he, he withholds the worst of evil, he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And in the end, he won't just frustrate it, but he will eliminate it entirely and we will be blessed, blessed to be with God in a world where justice has been done and evil is no more. That's part of the reason we can, we are blessed if we, our help, our hope is in, in God. But then there's more in those lines in between those two statements. So the rest of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 9. And what you see there is a whole lot of reversals. Uh, he gives, uh, sorry, I've lost my place. He he gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoner free, gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down, right? Reversal, reversal, reversal. He, he watches over the, the weak, that is the, the foreigner and the, the widow and the orphan, the, the people who by themselves struggled in that society. God, if you like, undoes the terrible effects of the curse the curse that is on the world because of our rebellion against God, he, he undoes that. Notice that he doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, blessed is the one who ho whose hope is in the Lord because he will never be hungry and he will never be a prisoner and he will never lose his sight. In, in fact, the implication of the way this is written is that these, some of these things will befall us. We will suffer some of these things and then God will undo them. And even so, this is not some sort of ironclad guarantee that if as a Christian, as a follower of God, you ever end up in prison, he will set you free. <laughs> there are prison, Christians in prison right now, you know that. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they're just being persecuted for being a Christian. You, there are blind Christians. Like that, that's not a failure of what God says here. There are hungry Christians. 
And so, what's being said here? Like, how is this, how is this comforting for our future? If, if God is not here guaranteeing that all the bad things, he'll make them go away in this life. How is this encouraging? Of course, we know that they will go away when Jesus comes again and he makes the whole world new. All of these things will be gone. But in this life, they're still here. They're still with us. So, if these are the sorts of things that rob us of confidence and hope in the future, how, how is this helpful? <laughs> well, I think the answer lies actually... Uh, in the ministry of Jesus. If you're familiar uh, with some of the things Jesus said, you will know that uh, there's one time in particular where John's disciples come to him and they say, are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And the answer he gives is, well, look at what's happening. Look at what you see happening. And he basically lists the reversals that are in this verse. He's actually quoting from Isaiah, uh, which picks up very similar ideas, which Isaiah, there's a prophecy in Isaiah that the Messiah would do that. But Jesus is saying, this is what I'm doing. And so, as we see that in Jesus' ministry, there's kind of two things in that that I think help us to have confidence, even though this isn't an ironclad guarantee for this life. The first thing is pretty obvious. The fact that Jesus does it, <laughs> the fact that Jesus heals the blind people and feeds the physically hungry and gives uh, people their hearing back and makes the lame to walk and, and do all of those incredible healing miracles and so on that he does, proves that God can in fact reverse all the bad things. Right? In a sense, that's the point of all those miracles. Jesus, when he does the miracles, isn't just going, hey, hey, look at me, I can do miracles. Woo, woo, woo. Like, that's not what he's doing. He's, he's saying, I am bringing a new world. I am bringing a new kingdom, something far better than what's happening here. I'm reversing the curse, don't you see? So he can do it. And if he did it then, he can do it again and he'll do it completely. And it will last. Can you imagine what it must have been like as Jesus came through your village? You know, and, and John over there who had leprosy, he doesn't have any leprosy anymore. And, and, and Mary, she, she used to be blind and now suddenly she can see. And then, you know, that person over there, they were, they were lame and now they're walking around dead. Can you imagine what that must have, looked, that must have been like? For every person, even, the, even, you know, little Johnny who had a sniffle that morning, it's gone, like everything's better, like everything is better. Fantastic. Must have been Amazing. And yet, it would have highlighted something else. That even with all the diseases healed and all the ailments gone, it was still a real serious problem. There was still the problem of sin and rebellion against God. You see, you, t you take out all the curse... <laughs> And all you've left with is our rebellion against God and it would have stood out like a sore thumb if you, because, because everything else has been taken away. 
And in Jesus' ministry, he made it clear that though he could heal the physically blind and feed the physically hungry, what he actually came to do was to heal spiritual blindness. What he came to do was to be the bread of life, that we would feed on him and be spiritually fed by being in relationship with God. He, he didn't just come to set people free from prisons because they were unjustly in prison because of the Romans or something like that. He came to release us from slavery to sin, from being oppressed by the devil. You see, Jesus came and, and he showed that though these things are wonderful, the, these physical reversals are great and we look forward to the day that they're all done, they're not the main issue. The main issue is that we're not in relationship with God, that we're estranged from God, that we're not feeding on God and delighting in God. That's the main problem. And he came to fix that and he is fixing that in this world. He's reversing spiritual blindness and he's feeding those who are spiritually hungry and, and he's lifting up those who are bowed down uh, because they see their sin and, and rebellion and he forgives them and, and gives them new life. And so friends, if you want to be confident in the future, what you actually need to do is change your goal, what you're aiming for. If, if your goal in this life is married with children uh, and a white picket fence and an overseas cruise and a flashy car, right, to not be sick, uh, to, to do lots of... If that's your goal in life, you are going to be stressed even with God because he never says he will give you any of that stuff. He never says he will give you any of that stuff. One day you will get all of that and far, far more. Yes, in heaven. And it's great to look forward to that and to hold on to the beautiful life that we will have. But in this world, that's not, he never guarantees that. And so if you're waiting for him to do that, if you're hoping he's going to give that to you, you are going to be stressed and disappointed and upset because he never said he would. But if on the other hand, if your goal, as Jesus says, is the kingdom of heaven and you're seeking that first, that is, you're seeking a relationship with God first, to have your spiritual blindness removed and, and, and to be filled with Christ, uh, to feed on Him and His love and His Word and so on. If, if, you're, if you're wanting Him to, to be freed from sin and to help others come to know Christ and be freed as well, if that's what you're aiming for, then He says, yes, that's what I'm doing in this world. That's what I'm going to do through you. The circumstances might go up and down. The, the, the particulars of your life might go up and down, but I will do that in your life. I will free you from spiritual blindness and spiritual hunger and spiritual oppression right now. 
because that's what I'm in the business of doing. And, and so, friends, if you want to have confidence, you've got to have confidence. You've got to be looking for, I should say, the things that God is actually doing in this world. Now, he may add to, you, to many of these other things because he's just kind, but what he's guaranteed is this. He is going to release us from our spiritual problem and he came to die to do that very thing. So that one day, as it says in verse 10, the Lord reigns forever, not temporarily, not a plan that comes to a, a sudden end, but it, the Lord reigns forever. You, God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. And so we will live in glory with God and so we look forward with confidence. He is changing us spiritually and one day he will change all the physical things, reverse them so that we will live with him in glory because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you saw our true problem. You didn't just come into this world to fix uh, the hard circumstances of our life, awful as they sometimes are. You didn't just come to do that. You came to fix our true problem. That we had rejected you, we were blind to you, we were hungry for you and we didn't even know it. Thank you that you promised to open our eyes, to feed us, and to remove our oppression. Thank you that you offer us yourself in your son, Jesus. And that no matter our circumstances, we can praise you because you are giving us yourself through Jesus, our Savior, by your Spirit. And so, Father, if our goal is in things of this world. And so we're stressed and anxious. Please help us to have your goals. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to seek you and that others would know you so that we might live with complete confidence because you have said that's precisely what you will give. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who came to bring us to you. And we pray in his name. Amen.